we gather for this type of sangha. It's called satsangha. Sad means truth, reality. So discuss about the nature of reality. So the people that do that, who are truthful, they must know the truth. And when those people who are supposed to be the disseminators of truth and knowers of truth are corrupted, this is the principal sign of Kalidyug. Kalidyug means time of hypocrisy. So hypocrisy means what? That you have a person who says he's one thing, but he's actually something else. So in the brahmanas, it means deep thinkers, actually. Deep thinkers. Because we can think quite a bit about the surface, but thinking about God means to go beneath the surface. So when persons in that position are corrupted, and everything is corrupted, that is Kali Yuga. So at the time of Maharaj Parikshit, Kali Yuga's time was also coming. And so the corrupt Brahmanas had an effect on his life because the son of a Brahmana cursed the king inappropriately. One Rishi was sitting in uh, in trance and Maharaj Parikit was in the forest. That Rishi did not honor the king. The king then garlanded the Rishi with a snake. He was in Samadhi. It seems inappropriate. The Rishi's son cursed the king to die in seven days. Now, we know from everything else about the life of Maharaj Parikshit that he was a great Mahatma, Raj and Rishi at the same time. So sometimes we find in the life of great persons something that appears to be a discrepancy. But as a result of that apparent discrepancy, something wonderful happens. That is not the same kind of corruption that I'm talking about. That is a different arrangement. Just like Parashara Muni. Parashara was a Muni, great thinker. And one day he was walking to cross the river, going to cross the river, and he saw a daughter of a fisherman. And he fell into union with her. Unbecoming. But what came from that was Vyas. Very extraordinary child. Ved Vyas, Krishna Vyas. So when we look at the entirety of the life of Parashara or Parikshit Maharaj, we see there are great souls and some small discrepancy, apparent, but something wonderful comes from it. Then we can understand there's some divine arrangement. Such was the case with Maharaj Parikshit and the Rishi in Samadhi. When he came out of Samadhi, found that he was garlanded by the snake and that his son had cursed the king, then he was very upset with his son. So his reaction is also telling. He could understand Maharaj Parikit is not the kind of person that can do any wrong. He should not have been cursed. The inappropriate cursing by a Brahman of a Vaishnav, Mahabhagata, that is the beginning of Kali Yuga. And Kali Yuga means, as I said, time of hypocrisy. So the king, what did he do? Further evidence of his greatness. He went to the bank of the Ganga and he sat and posed the question 
what shall I do? First of all, he wanted to know what is the most important thing in life that one can do and what is the most important thing to do particularly at the time of death. He had seven days. And so many people came from all over the countryside. Further evidence of his stature. The king is cursed to die. He has not made any effort to counteract the curse. He has come and sat at the bank of the Ganga and asking for advice how he should spend his final days and how in general one should spend one's life. So many people came, so many different types of rishis in charge of different departments of knowledge. Different types of advice was given to him. And then one boy came, 16-year-old boy, Shukadev. Then he was walking oblivious to the external world, naked. Young children following him, making fun of him. They did not understand his actual position, but when everyone saw him, they stood up. They knew. He was nivititashair. He had no material ambition. He spoke the Puranaguhyam, the secret of the Bhagavad Purana, out of Karuna. What was his motivation? Not for making money, for giving a sapta, but out of compassion for the king. And in 17,000 shlokas, he gave a comprehensive answer to the inquiry of Maharaj Parikshit. So my point is, without the relevant inquiry of Maharaj Parikshit, we would not have Srimad Bhagavatam. And what is Srimad Bhagavatam? Srimad Bhagavatam Puranamamalam Yudvaishnavanam Priyam Paramahamsa Sanghitam Srimad Bhagavatam is, it is said, Krishne Swadhamo Pagate Dharma Gyanari Visaha Kolona Stad Vishalmesha Puranarko Dunodita Puranarko It is Arko. Arko means ray of light, of sun. Krishne Swadhamo Pagate Dharma Gyanari Visaha This question is posed with the departure of Krishna at the end of Dvapara Yuga Krishna left the world and with Krishna Wherever is Krishna is, there is dharma and there is jnana. So dharma jnana divisaha. Krishna has gone, so from where will we get insight about dharma and jnana? And this is the answer. Krishna is dharma opagate dharma jnana divisaha. Kalo nasta vishalmesha purana rakodunodita. From this purana, Srimad Bhagavatam. So in Srimad Bhagavatam we will get light in Kali Yuga. How much light? Dharma projita kaitava utra paramo nirumat saranam satam vedyam vastava matra vastu shivadam tapatrayon mudam srimad bhagavate mahamunikite kimbapara rishparaha sadyohdeya vrudyate trakitibihi sususudis takshanat sadyohdeya vrudyate This bhagavad is so pure. Dharma projita kaitava utra. Any kaitava dharma. Kaitava Dharma means any selfishness, any religious ideal that attaches to it the enjoyment of the fruit of that religious practice, 
that is rejected in Bhagavatam. And comprehensively, projita, it means karma marg, that is not the subject of Srimad Bhagavatam, and gyan marg, gyan marg, which results in mukti, that is not the subject of Srimad Bhagavatam. Dharma projita kaitavotra paramo nirmatsaranam satam. So who is it for? Paramo nirmatsar satam. Those who are paramhangsa, who have no envy. Paramo nirmatsaranam satam. Satam, honest people, who have personal integrity. These people have adhikar for the paramhangsa marg of Srimad Bhagavatam. Dharma Prajita Kaitavotra Paramunyamatsaranam Satam Vedam Vastavamatta Vastu Shivadam Tapatrayamuranam. It is compiled by Mahamuni Vyas himself. From this we will get freedom from all type of suffering. From the root, Tapatrayamuranam, the root of all suffering will be lifted. And Sadhyo Hridaya Varudhyate Trakiti Jesus Takshanat. It is so nice. Just the desire to hear that Srimad Bhagavatam. If we can create in a session like this some desire to hear Srimad Bhagavatam from a proper authority, with great success that will be. Because Bhagavatam itself has said here, if one even desires sincerely to hear that Bhagavatam from a proper person, Krishna is captured, arrested, imprisoned in that person's heart. Krishna becomes imprisoned. So then you have to know what is the subject of that book. Just desiring to hear about that. Krishna becomes a prisoner in your heart, captured there. He takes his residence fully in your heart. If Krishna takes his residence in your heart, there'll be no room for anything else. If Krishna opens a shop in your heart, all other vendors will be put out of business. He is Krishna, Karshana, all attractive. No competition in the marketplace for Krishna. And Krishna Nam. Krishna Nam and Krishna are same, only one difference. Krishna Nam is more merciful than Krishna goes in the heart, taking shelter there, closing down all other vendors. So many vendors have set up their shop in our heart. I want this, I want that. It will all be closed down if Krishna takes shelter there. And that will be possible by wanting to hear Simon Bhagavatam. So this is not an easy thing to capture Krishna. So I am Bhagavan. Arrest him in your heart. So what, the question, what must be the subject of Srimad Bhagavatam? That it is so dear to Krishna. And that is the speciality of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Parvati Devi asked Mahadev, her husband, Pati, what is the best form of worship? She's asking her husband. And her husband is Mahadev himself who many, many people worship. What did he say? Aradhananam sarvesham vishnur aradhananam param. Devi was a little disheartened at first. 
because he said Aradhananam Sarvesham Vishnu Aradhananam Param. The highest worship is Aradhanam of Vishnu. That is Param. She said, oh, I'm worshipping you. And you're telling me the best worship is worship of Vishnu. So she was a little confused. And then he said, Tutiyanam Samarjanam. But better than that, Devi, Tasmat Parataram Devi, is worship of that which is Tadiya. Tadiya means dear. What is dear to Krishna? What is dear to Vishnu? That is the best thing. Then she was very happy because Vaishnavanamita Shambhu. Shambhu, Mahadev, Shiv, he is a great Vaishnav. So if the devotee, the Vaishnav, is most dear to Krishna, then who is the best Vaishnav? In the general sense, we say Shiv is best Vaishnav. But if we look very closely, we find in Vrindavan, in Braj, Brajmandal, we find an extraordinary uh, caliber of Vaishnav. And amongst them, that group, we find some uh, village girls, cowherds, whoopies. They are very extraordinary Vaishnavas. How extraordinary are they? They went in the night to meet Krishna when he played his flute. Fifth note, Kam, Kam Gayatri. They heard their names, they went. They met him in the dead of the night, Sarat Purnim. And then he disappeared. And they went looking for him. He saw them looking for him and he appeared before them as Narayana. So what kind of Vaishnavs, Vaishnavis were they? They paid their pranam to Narayana. And they had no interest in him. They were respectful, but they had no interest. Now, what kind of Vaishnava is that? Narayana is God. God appeared before them and gave them darshan. Chatur Buj Narayana. They said, Pranam, we're busy now. Can you tell us where is Krishna? Can you tell us where we can find Krishna? Did he pass this way? That kind of Vaishnava they are. Such love for Krishna that they have no interest in Narayana. And Narayana is God. So what is Krishna? <laughs> Krishna is too Bhagavan Sayam. Bhagavan Sayam. Krishna is God when God wants to relax and be himself. So who will be in his company at that time? Narayana has many attendants. Very respectfully. Om Narayana, Om Narayana, Om Narayana. But how the devotees of Braj are associating with Krishna? Mother Jashoda is chasing him with a stick. He's hiding in the bushes from the gopis. What kind of religious ideal is this? We teach that Vaishnavas, they should have some vairagya, some sense control. They should be a little detached from home and hearth, and family with spiritual knowledge. They should attend to their duties, but with some detachment from the fruit. And here we find a group of Vaishnavas. They are so attached to their home, Vrindavan. They will not move from the bank of the Jumuna. Even Krishna went to Mathura and Dwaraka. They would not leave Vrindavan. 
Bridge. What kind of Vaishnav are they? Attached to their home, to their cows, to their family members and so forth. But they conceive of Krishna as one of their family members. This is inconceivable. You like the idea of Krishna. You have to make this connection between Krishna and those devotees whose love is synonymous with Krishna. You see, it's not enough to be attracted a little to Krishna. We have to be attracted to Krishna's devotees. Krishna says, those who say they are my devotees, they are not my devotees. Who say they are the devotees of my devotees, they are my devotees. Why is this? Now here is the point. Krishna has said in Gita, however people approach me, I reciprocate accordingly. If you want heaven, I can give. If you want mukti, I can give that. And different kinds of mukti, I can give. Salokya, sarsti, samipya, sarupya, sarujya. Take your pick. But some people... They don't want mukti. They don't want svaragrok. They want Krishna himself. Their self-sacrifice is such. How many possibilities there are in the, in the world what we could have? None of those things. And greater than all of that, millions of times unlimitedly put together, is the bliss of mukti. They don't want that either. These are a very extraordinary type of transcendentalist. Most people are selfish. We all have some selfishness because we are attached to the body and body has needs. And those needs are imposed upon us, so we have to fend for them. And that will be at the cost of somebody else acquiring the same commodity. We eat because if we don't eat, we think we will die because we've identified with the body that has needs. And to eat, we have to work, and so we're busy. Karma means we have a necessity. Necessity born of material identification that keeps us busy. So we all have some selfishness. So we should begin to make some self-sacrifice to move in that direction, consciously. Make some self-sacrifice. Might have taken some time, I'll go and hear Swamiji talk. I could have watched the movie or the news or something. I can give some donation. I can take time to read the book. Make some self-sacrifice consciously. That is good. But when we go from self-sacrifice, we can go very far in self-sacrifice. When self-sacrifice reaches the pitch of self-forgetfulness, that's what we call love. Without any calculation, without any thinking about, I should do it because it is a good thing to do. Out of love, forgetting oneself. Self-forgetfulness. This is the idea of Brajbhakti. Those gopis fully forgetful of the self. When love reaches this extreme, this pitch, Krishna appears. Absolute appears in this way. My point is this. We see the beautiful picture of Krishna. We hear the beautiful teachings of Krishna in Gita. We are attracted. That Krishna is the product of the heart of those Vaishnavas. The Absolute reciprocates to that kind of heart in that way. 
These two are inseparable. Achintya Veda Veda. This is the tattva of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in Gaudiya Vedanta. Veda Ved Achintya. So therefore these devotees are so important to us. They are the shelter of the kind of love that causes the Absolute to manifest as Krishna. Very extraordinary kind of devotee. That kind of devotee, it means, Krishna cannot reciprocate. He says, according to how you approach, I reciprocate. Their love is so intense that he says, I cannot reciprocate. All I can do is make myself available to you, 100%, as you want. You become the son of Yashoda, the friend of Sridam, Subal, the lover of the gopis, completely subjugated by Radha. Every religion teaches that God is the most worshipable object, and we are teaching what is the most worshipable object of God. That is our contribution. That is what Srimad Bhagavatam is about. It is about the heart of Krishna. His heart is his devotees. It is said that Krishna has everything. Only one thing he's missing. Only one thing Krishna is missing. There's a saying in English that what can you give the man who has everything? So what can we give Krishna? He has everything. Some people conclude like this, therefore they don't give anything. <laughs> but we can't tell it. There is one thing that Krishna does not have. What is that? His own heart has been stolen by gopis. They stole it. He's purchased by them. So what can we give him? We can give him our heart. This is bhakti. You give your heart to Krishna. And how will you give your heart to Krishna? Krishna wants always to serve his devotees. Devotees never want to take service from Krishna. So there's a problem. Krishna has this problem. I want to serve my devotees. But they are always very expert at avoiding me. This is where we come in. If we can render some service to the Vaishnav, we can fulfill the ambition of Krishna through us. We have then a, a very exalted position, all by way of connection with the Vaishnav. Vaishnav Seva. And Siradha is goddess and ideal of devotion at the same time. She is our ideal and example of devotion, highest form of devotion. So the Srimad Bhagavatam that is so extraordinary, as I'm mentioning, that even desiring to hear about it, Krishna will become captured in your heart. What is it about? In a general sense, it is about devotion to Krishna. And devotion to Krishna reaches its highest pitch in Braj. And in Braj, the gopi sector, their love is most extreme. And amongst them, Radha's love is most extreme. So this is the subject of Srimad Bhagavatam. Who would have known? You have to come to the Gaudiya Vaishnavas to find that out. What is in between the lines of Srimad Bhagavatam? What secrets have been placed there? What jewels can be mined from that? What wealth? The wealth of Radha's love. If we can hear about that and learn, then we can understand how to easily capture Krishna. We are a tiny, finite being, and we can get the embrace of the whole infinite. The infinite is embracing everything at the same time. But if it comes to embrace one particle, one finite particle, 
what will that be like? That is Vrindavan. That possibility is there for us. You want to be happy? How happy? Completely happy? No distress? We will become afraid of this kind of happiness. <laughs> so happy, you cannot imagine. Such possibility is there. We are seeking happiness. That is our nature. It can be fulfilled in this. And therefore, asking questions is important. Parikshit Maharaj asked the questions. And Sukadev gave Srimad Bhagavatam and how much we are benefiting from that. His very name, Parikshit, it means inquirer. So we should have a healthy inquiring spirit when we come to a session like this. And when Swamiji says, any question, then you should have some question. Because if you're thinking about this at home and through the day and reading, then you'll have some question. So this isn't a session for just coming for some entertainment and then go away, come back, never any question. Now you have to go home, you have to read the Gita, Bhagavat. Fine, you don't have the book. Now you have to purchase the book, Srimad Bhagavatam. And it is daunting, so many slokas. Oh, how will I read? We have to start. And then the questions will come. And then you ask the question. So many answers will come. And this way you'll be caught up. You'll enter into the pages of Srimad Bhagavatam. Sukadev Goswami, he answered in seven days. Prikshit Maharaj, he had seven days to live. He asked the questions and he listened very, very attentively. Because he had seven days to live. Now we think we have many days to live. So what is the problem? We will come once in seven days, maybe. Maybe once in thirty days. And here's something. But if you knew you only had seven days to live, then there would be some impetus to hear more ardently, more attentively. Am I right? But the message of Srimad Bhagavatam is that you only have seven days. You will die in one of seven days. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. That is seven days. And with every passing day, our chances of passing from the world with nothing, leaving everything behind, are greater. So, with some eagerness and some sensibility, sound thinking, we should come to hear about Srimad Bhagavatam, Bhagavad Gita, Harikata, and Tattva, some philosophy. That is the canvas on which the art of Krishna Lila is drawn. Any question? I have a question. I was reading a, a statement from uh, Bhaktivinoda Thakur, and he said there's no book without errors, and that the scriptures, hmm. they take on some, the color, I think he said the color of the times and the, the various distortions over the years. So that it's required that there's new revelation. But we study the Bhagavad Gita and the Bhagavad, and we consider the slokas, as being revealed knowledge. How do we understand this? If, if uh, Bhaktivinoda says there's no book without errors, but we say, here's the Bhagavad Gita and these are the slokas. Well, one thing is that Bhagavad itself admits to its own errors. It says, 
यथग्विसागो जनथाग विप्लगो यस्मिन प्रतिश्लोकम अवधावतीयते he said that this book you should understand the nature of it even if there is some defect in it grammatical defect literary defect the nature of the message is such that it overshadows that the urgency so in that sense it admits to some type of imperfection and that should be overlooked otherwise the book itself with the gita or bhagavat they repeatedly stressed the importance of especially the bhagavat and gita also of hearing from saintly persons tad vidhi pranipatena pariprashnena sevaya upadakshanti te gyanam gyaninas tatvadarshina so the book and the person who explains the book there are two types of bhagavats the bhagavat book and the person bhagavat so these go together the person the sadhu continues to bring the book to life to keep the book living without the sadhu then it becomes dead the sadhu draws light from the book as it is relevant to the time and circumstances and gives life to it book is a passive agent of divinity the sadhu is active agent of divinity the book you can read but the book cannot ask you so did you understand that shloka the book cannot say did you understand the book does not come after you in that way but the sadhu can say so you read you understood yes maharaj what did you understand he can ask you and go after you so active agent and passive agent of divinity the sadhu and shastra respectively and active also means that because he's active agent he brings the passive agent to life by explaining the message according to time and circumstance the shlokas are all good but what they mean how they can be applied relevantly according to time and circumstance that is the business of the sadhu so while there are advices like that of takur bhakti vinod about the limitations of the book you will find in his writings that is why he emphasizes the sadhu as he does after all he himself was speaking about what he himself was doing giving new life to the scripture and the importance of that does that answer your question yeah yes So there seems to be some circular references in the Puranas, like Srimad Bhagavatam, which says eighteen um, major Puranas or Garuda Purana and all those things. In those Puranas, the lines of Srimad, number of slokas in Srimad Bhagavatam is mentioned. So which precedes what? I mean, how if Garuda Purana came first or some other Purana came first? How could that reference? Uh, Because Bhagavat is given as one of the Puranas, eighteen Mahapuranas. but when vyas was troubled and narada came then narada by his instructions energized vyas to rewrite the bhagavat actually to edit it to rewrite it with the maturity of his realization so jiva gosami has explained that bhagavat purana was there amongst the sattvic puranas so when vyas got his advice from narada what to do in his despondency having emphasized karma and gyan 
and not giving sufficient emphasis to bhakti. Then uh, getting the advice from Narada, Vyas compiled the Bhagavad with his mature realization. That means he took the existing Bhagavad and he edited it. So this came into being when Parishit asked his questions, right? So before that there was yeah. no Bhagavatam. So how could some other Purana talk about uh, Bhagavatam as being the best Purana? You have to understand that all these uh, scriptures like Bhagavad, they have an apparent beginning, but the message is timeless. For example, we also say the Bhagavad is four shlokas, chatur shloka, spoken by Krishna to Brahma. That is whole Bhagavad in four shlokas. So then to expand upon that, actually Sugadev spoke Bhagavatam to Maharaj Pariksit. But he actually did not speak 18,000 shlokas, 17,000 shlokas. In the audience, Sutta Goswami was present. Sutta Goswami heard what Maharaj Parikit heard. That was reiterated. That is 18,000 shlokas. So, or, he, or Sukadev may have given 17,000 shlokas, but Sutta Goswami gave it again, reiterated to the sages at Naimisharanya, headed by Shonaka. Sutta Goswami considered himself like a disciple of Sukadev. So then some editing is taking place and there may be different persons involved. We say Vyas wrote everything. But that is only a way of speaking about it. Vyas means compiler. Anyone who speaks, writes, empowered by God, he can sign the name Vyas rather than his own name. That's not a cheating, that's honesty. He's saying, I didn't write it. So all these books are compiled in not in a simplistic kind of way as we teach in the beginning. Make things simple. Vyas wrote all of them. Ganesh was the scribe. Taking place over time. So you may find some difficulty in sorting out the whole history. But these things we should not get bogged down by. And what we should understand is what is the essential message of Bhagavatam? What these books are, what scripture is, is eternity meeting time. Where that which is eternal meets time, then that which is eternal takes on an appearance within time and space. When the infinite meets the finite, it takes on a finite appearance. So the book, for example, that is, we call it the Bhagavad is a book. So many pages, ink, and so forth, but we can throw it in the fire. What happened to the book? But if we study the Bhagavad, the essence of the Bhagavad, hear it from a proper person, what happens to us? Then we experience eternity and more, so we can understand its nature. So we shouldn't get caught up, because that's only the beginning of the question. Then you can go to the scholars and say the dating of the Bhagavatam. The different types of Sanskrit, from the Upanishads to the Puranas to the Gita, in a very scientific way they have given times and dates, and these books are written centuries apart, according to their analysis. Then it is a reasonable type of analysis. What will we say to that, then? There are so many arguments. So we should not allow our mind to get in the way of what the essential message of the Bhagavatam is. The nature of the mind is like a, a vulture. A vulture preys on dead things. 
So the mind tends to want to arrest spiritual things and make them dead, take the life out of them. By over-analysis of application of our intellect, we'll be repelled from a plane that is not accessible by intellect. Do you follow me? By intelligence, you cannot go to Golok, to Vaikuntha, only by Shraddha. So, if we try to go there and bring the whole thing within our intellect so it makes complete sense to us, what are we doing? Does the soul answer to intellect? If it is superior to intellect, then what to speak of God? If God is superior to the soul, Jiva soul, doesn't entirely answer to intellect. That is intelligent. That is rational. We should be encouraged to know that there is something beyond the limits of intellect. That is a very confined life. So I'm answering your question like this because the fact of the matter is we can find many such type of discrepancies. That's only the beginning. And those explanations, simplistic explanations, are given to make things simple. But if someone's a little thoughtful, then they will start to apply their intelligence and find problems with the simplistic explanation. Then we have to go to a more developed explanation. But in that explanation, some of the things that we hold on to in our spiritual pursuit, they start to disappear. Do you understand what I'm saying? They start to evaporate. Then we become a little um, disconcerted. But things are explained in such a way that we can get a handle on that. And if we look at it closely, we find, oh, there's more to it, and we have to let go of that handle also. Am I making sense to you? The explanations that, oh, their books were written at this time by Vyas. This is revelation. So the explanations that seem to make the revelation fit very rationally, these are Kunishta Adhikari explanations. These are explanations for neophytes only. They don't hold up to reasoning entirely. So you're asking for it to hold up to reasoning. I'm telling you, it doesn't hold up to reasoning. But what you should understand is revelation is required for our spiritual progress. Grace is required. It comes through sadhus who manifest shastra. It may be written at different times by different persons. And there may be, like I say, a simplistic way in which it's explained. It's encouraging in the beginning, but it doesn't hold up under scrutiny of intellect. So if you are properly guided, you can pass through that stage. Because some people, when those simplistic explanations do not hold up the intellect, then they go away. To make matters worse for you, <laughs> Scripture stresses that it's absolute. Absolute permana. The reason it does that is so that people will listen to it and pay close attention. And when they pay very close attention, they find out it's not absolute. It's provisional. But that has got them somewhere. And now they can go on their own strength, on their own experience. All this scripture is like outline in the book of life. And there's one page in that book that's your page. You have to write your name on that. I could give you some kind of Kanishtadikari explanation, some type of logic to make it sound like it all works, it all fits, but I tell you frankly, it doesn't. And it hasn't scared me away. It brought me deeper within the text. 
Bhagavad 18,000 slokas, my Guru Maharaj used to say, oh, that is a, a minimum. In, in the heavenly planet, there are 100,000 slokas of Bhagavatam. Krishna spoke four slokas. In four slokas, there's unlimited knowledge in bhakti. Mostly, the explanations of the Goswamis are for Kanishtadikaris. Their explanations of the leelas, everything. Bhaktivinoda Thakurum you quoted was very revolutionary. He wanted to speak in a different way about all these things. It can be uh, challenging. So you asked me, you had some doubt about the Bhagavatam or scripture in general. If Bhagavatam was the last Purana, then mm-hmm. how does some other Purana talk about Bhagavatam as being the highest Purana? How do I trust it? No, I see a apparent discrepancy here. How do I go about this? If you read it, you'll find it is the highest Purana. Because it talks about uh, Radha and Krishna. What's higher than that? What would be higher than that? You Have you studied all the Puranas? Well, you should study. Then it will be easy to see. Bhagavatam is, is the highest Purana. You look and see in the world. What Purana is given the most emphasis in the world today? In India, let's say. In the world and in India, what Purana is most well-known and therefore given the most attention. Bhagavad Purana, there is no comparison. Kurma Purana, Shiv Purana, Brahma Purana, you don't even see these things. They're not even translated into modern languages. And in India, nobody reads them. Why? Bhagavad Purana is so compelling. Because it's about Radha and Krishna, ultimately. What is higher than that? It's very practical. Anyway, the general explanation, the Kanishta explanation, the neophyte explanation to your question is, as I said, Bhagavad Purana was amongst the Sattvic Puranas. And all the Puranas were saying it was the best of the Sattvic Puranas. And when Vyas was inspired by Narada, then he took that best of the Sattvic Puranas and made it better by making it a more than a Sattvic Purana. It Paramhamsa Sanghita, the Amala Puranam. Amala means no Sattva, no Radhus, no Tamas. No doctrine for the Tamasic, Rajasic, or Sattvic people, but for the Paramahamsas. The book says, in its opening shlokas, Dharma Projita Kaitavata Paramo Nirmatsaranam Satam. So who's it for? Nirmatsar, who has no envy, who's Paramahamsa. So, it must be the best Purana. It is for the Paramahamsas. There are so many ways that you can have faith that it is the best Purana. You read it. How can I apply the message of Bhagavatam in my daily life, in my life in office or in my life? You have to center your life around Ivashnav. If you are serious in your question, then you approach Ivashnav and say, please give me the wealth of Srimad Bhagavatam in a way that I can start to spend that wealth and make my life rich. And then you will be told you have to do some things. Some things you will have to give up and some things you will have to add to your life. All right, so we talked for so long, it's late, so let us take some prasad. Okay. Yeah. 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 Y